You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website, thisisbaptistchurch.com. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and thank you. Lord, we ask you right now, dear Lord, to do what you've been doing in this praise and worship time. Just open up our hearts. Let us be sensitive today, today, to what you want to say to us, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to wrap your arms around us, encourage us, strengthen us. We pray, dear Lord, for your Holy Spirit to illuminate, turn the light on in our hearts. And Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, to forgive me. Lord, make me a vessel, a tool in your hand that you can use. Lord, to give you all the glory and honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to remain standing. I don't do this very often. I I take a lot of um, pains to put together a message. There's There's a message here, quite a good message. And Alan, I'm, uh, Alan said the first Sunday he came here, I wadded up a message, said it wasn't what the Lord wanted me to preach and threw it toward the door. And he said, man, that sealed me. He said, uh, I like this guy. Well, Alan, I'm probably going to preach this next Sunday. But I really feel led to go a different route. And man, I hate when God does this because sometimes it's, it is so scary to me who likes, uh, uh, I'm a little OCD. I like to have everything's mapped out. But I really believe today that God's led me in a different direction. So I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And let me say a little bit about John, the Gospel of John. It's written by John the Beloved. And John the Beloved meant that John felt as if he had a special relationship with Jesus Christ and would even refer to himself as John the Beloved, the favorite uh, of of all the disciples. So, uh, you know, John just had that special relationship with Jesus. Now, John was the brother, he and his brother James, Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder because they had a bad temper. We know that a lot changes in the life of John. John changes. John is quick, quick tempered. He's got a, he's he's got a bite to him. You remember when they went to the Samaritan village, and if you remember the Samaritan uh, village, the disciples didn't want to go through Samaria. He said, "I must needs go through Samaria." But uh, there was one particular Samaritan village would not receive Jesus, and James and John. John said, "Do you want us to?" pray down fire and consume this village. John had a temper. Uh, He was something else. And yet he changes. In fact, he changes so much that at the cross, when all the rest of the disciples had abandoned him, John is there at the foot of the cross and John looks, I mean, Jesus looks at John and says, John, behold your mother, mother, behold thy son. And in that moment, Jesus from the cross entrusted his mother into the hands of John. 
John is the only one out of the 12 disciples that does not die a martyr's death. John does not die a tragic death. In fact, John the Beloved lives probably into his early 90s and was able to disciple and raise up many of the apostolic fathers of our church history. It is believed that John lived in Ephesus, if I remember, and he took care of Mary until Mary died. John is a unique, fascinating individual. John, in John chapter 2, brings us to the first miracle that is recorded by Jesus Christ. In many ways, it begins his ministry. But I feel led this morning to look at this passage. In John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to, to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do, what, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, and though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine when the guests become uh, when they've drank too much, but you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Canaan and Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. And we pray that you wrap your arms around us, Lord, and open up this verse, this passage. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen. I don't know about you. You can be seated. But a wedding, a wedding in a lot of ways is a very stressful thing for ministers, to be honest with you. And this is going to shock you. There is far less pressure in a funeral than there is a wedding. I mean, there just is. When you get to a wedding, you know, every T's got to be crossed, every I's got to be dotted, everything's got... And listen, I've had some bridezillas. You know what I'm talking about? Bridezillas. Hopefully, um, <clears throat> when Eric and Bethany get married, we won't see a bridezilla. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. But anyway, and Eric's over there, Amen. But anyway, you know, there's a lot of stress in a wedding because everything has to be laid out. Everything has to be put together. All, all, everything's got to be done. It's got to be done exactly right. And one of the critical things in a wedding is food, is refreshments. I always remember years ago, 
Ledge and Alicia. Alicia was laughing about this the other day. They had, they had the uh, gym down there fixed up. It was just unbelievable. It looked like the Taj Mahal. Her parents, people had invested, they had put, man, this thing was something else. And they had this big fountain in the middle of the gym that would spew out uh, the punch, and you'd go up there and put your cup up there and get you some punch. Well, at this time, I'll never forget this, a really tender moment. Uh, we, were, we had a large group of children who came from the community, and uh, they loved Ledge. They loved Alicia. In fact, I couldn't find Ledge. Found him around here on the side. And he had all these community kids and all the kids around him. They were climbed up on him, looking over him, just all packed in there. And I said, Ledge, it's getting about time. You need to send your entourage on into the sanctuary. But after the wedding was over with and we were looking at video, we saw one of those little kids that had come out of the community was going around, Sean Trees, if she's watching, but she was going around, she was picking up all the leftover cups of, of, of punch and she was pouring it back into the fountain. And um, in many ways, it was always kind of a tender, laughing kind of moment. You know, everything has to be right in a wedding. And so here in Canaan, Jesus is there. The Bible said that Jesus' disciples, they had all been invited and they all there. Imagine Jesus being a guest at your wedding. And so there comes a point that Mary comes to Jesus and she says, uh, in fact, if you look at this, in fact, look at it there, uh, she comes to him in verse 2, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine. So you can just picture this scene. Here's Mary. We, we know by this time that Joseph is dead. Here's Mary. She comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, like, uh, we've got a problem. And the problem is this. The guest list is bigger than we thought. There was inadequate planning and we've run out of wine. Now, everybody listen closely. Wine was a purification process as well for water. So when she said that, she was saying, we don't have nothing to drink. There's no Coke, there's no Sprite, there's no punch, there's no, there's no wine, there's no water. There is nothing. We have nothing to drink. Jesus looks at her and he says, woman, what does that have to do with me? Now, a lot of us would think, we'd think to ourselves, well, you know, he was being disrespectful. In the Greek language, what he was saying was literally this. He was saying, lady, ma'am, what does that have to do with me? And I told Sheila this, for every mom in this room, learn a lesson from Mary. You are preparing your children to leave, not to cleave. She has to let go of him. She has to begin to quietly begin to distance herself from Jesus while at the same time Jesus is beginning now to understand his ministry, his vi God's call on his life, the purpose and the plan that God had for his son Jesus. Mary has to let go of him. In some ways, Jesus is looking and saying to Mary, Mary, you have to understand now that you're going to begin to have to leave me, to let go of me, to release me. And that's what he was saying. Now, I love this, because every mom in this room understands this. 
He said, dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. You know what he was saying? I can't do a miracle. You want me to do a miracle. You want a divine visitation. You want me to take care of this. What Mary was asking, and listen, if you don't believe that, uh, if you don't believe in the, not only historicity, but the deity of Jesus Christ, this is the classic example because you know what she was saying to Jesus? You can fix this problem if you want to. When are, when are you going to step out? When are you going to start? When is that moment that you are going to begin your public ministry? What better time than right now? And she does what every mom does. Let me give you a clue to raising teenagers. Most people, let's say this is your, this is your child's room. This is the door. Can we get me over here? This is the door to your teenager's room. And you look at it, oh, it looks horrible. And you, and you, and you say to that individual, you know it's funny? Because Jeffrey's outside this door. This is so appropriate. We ran out of bowls in our house because of he and Ledge eating cereal. They ate cereal like Jethro Bodine on the Beverly Hillbillies. One box was enough for them to each have a bowl. We drank 14 gallons of milk a week, two gallons a day. It's appropriate that Jeffrey's sitting out here on the steps waiting to come back in because if this was his room, it is a disaster area. So Sheila, I would hear Sheila, she would say, um, clean your room up. Now, usually there would be a smart remark, some kind of little curt, whatever, and then she would get in the tit for tat. I told you clean your room up. Don't talk to me that way. If you talk to me that way, I'll come in there. And I mean, buddy, they go back and forth. And I, and I would look at Sheila and I would just say, Sheila, just give the command and leave. Just say what you need to say and walk away. Don't stay there and get into this verbal vomit back and forth, this tit for tat, you kick my dog, I'll kick your cat, where you're trying to reason with a teenager. Give the command and run away from the door. Mary does the same thing. Jesus looks and says, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time is not yet. She ignores him. She didn't look at him and say, if you knew the pain that I went through to bring you into the world. My mom always reminded me of that. I was near death bringing you into the world. She didn't look at him and say, if you knew the pain, that, if you knew the slander and the gossip that I had to put up with there in, in, in that little Galilean city, if you knew how I was ostracized and alienated, you just wait till I tell your heavenly father about this. And it was none of that. She ignored him. Mom, listen, if there's a lesson to learn, listen, this is one you'll never forget. There'll come a day when what you have put into your child, you're going to have to trust. She knew what was in him. She knew, what, she knew how, listen, she knew how she had raised him, 
but she knew the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself, the Creator. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. She wasn't just talking to Jesus, her son. She was looking into the face of God. She knew what was in him. Mom, sooner or later comes a day when you have to let go. Celia is back on that back row right now, shaking her head because she has had to let go of two daughters and they're dealing with the empty nest and her daughters were leaving at 16 years of age. And now both of them on scholarship and colleges. Sooner or later, what you've built in, what you've invested, what you've poured into your children, sooner or later, you have to release them and let them go. And you have to believe in what you have put in them. Now listen closely. What you put into them is the word of God and that word lived out every day in your life. If you go to our home now, if you go to our home now, you will see Sheila's Bible, my Bible, or a one-year Bible laying there near the place where we drink our coffee early in the morning. We wanted our children to see the value of God's Word. You are investing God's Word into the life of your children. You're putting that in them. You're investing the Word of God in them, and you're living that out in front of them. Mary knew what was in him. And she trusted that. And she could walk away. And I love this. Jesus, he, he does what she, he did, did what she wanted. <laughs> Let me explain again. This is God in the flesh. Let me say it as the African people and people who know me have heard it a million times if I had my jacket on. What old Simon Jaina Mafundis Jaina, that pastor there in Zimbabwe, said in the Shona language, he said, Mwari Akafeka Munyama. Mwari God Akafeka dress Munyama. He took a jacket and said, Nyama, meaning flesh. Mwari Akafeka Munyama. God put on the flesh of man. She says to God in the flesh. God was, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. She says to Jesus, listen. Well, she didn't say anything. She just walks away. And the Bible says here that Jesus, his mother said to the servants, that's all she said, she said, just do it. She ignores him. She just ignores him, says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. In other words, you guys just do whatever. In other words, she's, she knows what she's invested in him. She knows who he is. She knows what he's capable of. You see, that's a mom. A mom believes in her children. Nobody else does. A mom will see value and worth and dignity. A parent will when nobody else does. Sometimes not even the siblings. She knew what was in him. She knew what had been invested in him. She knew Gabriel when he came that night and said to Mary, Mary, behold, you shall conceive and give birth to the Son of God. And Mary said, I'm a virgin. How can this be? She had watched him grow up. She lost him. Have you ever lost a child? You never forget it. She lost him as a little boy at the temple. 
only to go back and to find him sitting there with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes and the lawyers, and he was taxing them to the limits of their intellect. She knew what was in him. She told the servants, said, listen, just do whatever he says because she knew he had the capability of meeting the need. Whatever you have today in your life, no matter how you may feel, no matter what relationship may be breaking down, no matter health, whatever it may be, financial, whatever it may be, Jesus Christ is able to meet whatever need you face. Mary knew that. That was settled. I don't have to worry about this. He's got it. Just do whatever he tells the servants, just do. And that's what he says to you and I. You just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And I love this. Look at this. And we, we, we won't take long, but look at this. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Look at this. How many gallons? 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, how many gallons? We've got, we've got six. So six times 20 is 120. Six times 30 is 180. We've got, we got up to 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. And Jesus said to the servants who had already been told by Mary, do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus was told, told the servants, he said, fill the jars with water. And they're thinking to themselves, and that's you and I. Someday, we are the servants of Jesus Christ. We don't know what all the, we don't always know when God gives us instruction. We don't even know how it's going to turn out. We don't know how it's going to pan out. We just are obedient. They just did what they were told to do. Just go fill the jars up with water. Verse 8, then look at this. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Can you imagine that scene? In, in, in the series, and if you have not seen it, The Chosen, it's a fascinating, refreshing look at the life of Jesus Christ. In this scene, there's that moment where Jesus is alone looking into those jars, those vast jars of water, maybe up to 180 gallons of water, clay pots around him, and he's looking down in it. And as he's looking down in it, he's calling out to the Father, and he's realizing this is the time, and he reaches down. And there comes a moment, I think, if I remember, as he reaches down and the crimson color of red wine begins to fall from his hand as that water goes from water to wine. And then he said this, he said, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. Master of the banquet tasted the wine, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> he, the master of the banquet tasted the wine. I'm, hey, listen, I'm not a connoisseur of wine. Now, I drink a little wine every once in a while. For all of you, that may shock you, but my doctor told me for my stomach, I need a little red wine, he said, Paul told Timothy. So sometimes when my stomach's giving me problems, I may resort to that. And for all the Pharisees in the room, I've just blown you out of the water. <laughs> you have a stomach like mine, you'll get where you do whatever you have to do. But I want you to know something. When Dr. John Downer, an old GP general practitioner in Lexington, Mississippi, when I went to see him, when I came back from Africa, and I went to this specialist, that specialist, said, Dr. John, just an old country doctor, said, I don't know what to do. He said, well, i tell you one thing you need to do. You need to do what Paul told Timothy. You need to take a little wine for your stomach helmet. And then he pulled out a prescription. He wrote a prescription for, uh, it wasn't Mad Dog 2020, but it was, uh, it was a red wine. And he said, now you need to take this to a liquor store and you need to get it filled. Well, I ain't never been, I had, I, I, I'm a pastor. I'm a missionary home from, from Africa. I, I can't go to a liquor store. 
So I drove up to the liquor store and let Sheila out, and she went in for me. <laughs> she said, what? I said, Sheila, I, am, I can't go in there, babe. I preached at First Baptist Lexington. I preached at all these churches. These people know me. What if they see me going to the liquor store? They don't know you. <laughs> now take my prescription and get in there and fill it. And she did. And just for spite, she stayed in there a long time. I was sitting out there. Look, I was sitting down there literally. You know the way some guy's driving South Jackson. This is, this is me sitting in my car. Man. And she took forever. And I know what she was doing. She was in there trying to explain why the preacher was out there. She was in there buying wine. But anyway... The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, imagine this. He calls the bridegroom to the side, and he says, explain something to me. I've been to a lot of weddings, and when you have a wedding, you bring your best stuff out to start with. And once people get a little tipsy and they get a little loose and they get a little intoxicated, then you bring out the cheap stuff. Because they don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. They'll drink anything. But I've never tasted wine like this. I have never in my life seen a wedding where you bring this exquisite a wine late. Isn't that what Jesus does? You know what Satan does? Satan gives you the best stuff right up front. He'll give you a lot of stuff. He won't give you the fine print. He won't walk you through all the fine print, the legal terminology. He just, hey, listen, he offers the best. You can have it now, right? Only when you get it to realize that it wasn't nothing what you thought it was going to be. That's life, isn't it? Jesus Christ, everyone listen. Jesus Christ coming into your life is making every day better and better and better and better and better and better, and better right into heaven. I love Mary. I think sometimes because of our Catholic friends that we've kind of discounted Mary, but in the end, it says this, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples. Note that they're already following him, but it's at this point they put their faith in him. Let me, let me say this. Sometimes when we are raising parenting children, we have, we have certain uh, things that drive us. Some of us, it's academic. 
Uh, we, we want our kids to be academically well-suited. We want to ensure that they get a good education. We, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes. We want to give them every opportunity academically, educationally, to have the best education because everything stems on the fact that you've got to get a good education. You've got to get that degree. And so some kids, that's, that's all they strive for. You know how many people that have a good education, that are professional people, that are absolutely miserable? There's some people that sports consumed with it. Now, a parent will sit here glassy-eyed in the service and maybe plugged in and out, no Bible open, no taking no notes or whatever. But get that parent to a ball game. Get him to a ball game. Let that little boy, let that little boy be going to first or second. Let that little girl go, 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 go. Don't stop. Keep, keep running. Go, go, go. Those seven-year-olds out in the second and third, between second and third on shortstop between trying to figure out what to do and the parents screaming at him and the coaches screaming at him and poor kid finally gets out and goes back to the dugout. Some dad saying, son, why, why'd you stop? Why'd you, why'd you stop, son? Why'd you keep going? You heard me hollering. I was telling you to go. The only passion that child ever sees is the passion around acting. Had a sports camp, baseball camp. Dad came by to sign up his son. Me and Brent were sitting in Reggie's office, and his dad came in, wanted the paperwork to fill it out. Then he began to talk about how gifted his son was. He said, My son, he's just got an arm on him. He's got an arm on him. My son's got. And Brent Leach was trying to talk to him about, about spiritual things, and the guy kept changing. Finally, Brent, I love Brent Leach, former uh, left-handed pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He put his hand up and he finally said, sir, he said, I wasn't going to say it. He said, but I played, I played high school ball. He said, I played college ball. I played in the pros. I was a closer for the Dodgers. Sir, if that's all you're depending on in raising your son, then I'd feel sorry. Brent was confrontational, strong. And in that moment, that dad cowered down because you know what this former ex-professional baseball player was saying? Hey, you can have all that and still not have the most important thing, and that's Jesus Christ. Mom, everything depends on this. Preparing them to be men and women of God. Let's stand. Let me pray for you today. If you're a mom today and you may feel overwhelmed, these are tough times to raise children. You may be a mom or a dad. You may be a parent today. You're, you're thinking to yourself, man, this is hard. This is hard, Brother Jeff. I, uh, listen, it's hard, but everybody listen, it's not impossible. God gave you those children. That, the Bible says that's an inheritance from the Lord. God gave you those children as an act of stewardship for you to in, that he's entrusted into your care to raise them up to be men and women of God. That's what he's done. And if you do that, 
then you'll be, listen, you'll be excited to watch them grow up. You'll be excited to see what God's going to do in their life. And one day when you stand before the Lord, you're going to be thanking God. God, thank you so much. But my friend, you're going to also give an account. Dad, Mom, you're going to give an account for how you've raised your children. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says train them up in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. What are you doing right now? You're, you're hedging them in and you're pointing them. You see that cross right there? You're pointing them toward the cross of Jesus Christ. You're introducing them to Jesus because Jesus Christ is the only one. Mom, Dad, are you listening? Say amen. Mom, Dad, you watching live stream, one day you will not be there. Do you understand that? One day you, Dad, will not be there. Mom, Dad, you will not be there. They will be on their own. You will not live forever. You may die quicker than some parents. You may not be there even as long as you think, but you will not be there forever. But let me tell you, introduce them to the one who will be there forever. Whether they're in a good marriage or a bad marriage, whether they got a good child or rebellious teenager, whether they're getting a new job or being fired from a job, whether she's in an abusive relationship where she's getting beat up and kicked around, whether he's in a marriage where she's running around on him and breaking his heart, whether she's at the point or he's at the point they're sitting by the bed and they're sitting there with a 38 and they're spitting the chamber and they're trying to figure out, I don't even want to live anymore. In that moment, in that moment, for you to have introduced them to Jesus Christ, for them to know Christ, for them to feel the presence and the power of His Holy Spirit coming into that bedroom, wrapping that, those arms around your, your son, your daughter who's now grown, and you're gone. And in that moment, bringing a peace to that room and purpose, and God saying, Jesus saying, I've got this. That's who you want, Mom, to introduce your children to. And you want to live a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that they want to emulate in their own life. But you can't do it without Him. You need Him. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we pray. There are men and women in this room. There are moms today. Many of them, dear Lord, that are trying to work jobs, they're trying to keep a home, they're trying to cook meals, trying to get kids here, there, and yonder. Uh, many of them, dear Lord, are exhausted, they're tired. Many of them are discouraged. Some of them are thinking, I, I, I've got so many battles right now, financially we struggle. Some of them are saying, I feel so alone, my husband is either not there, I'm a single parent, or either... Uh, I've got a husband, but he's so far removed from the stresses that I face that, that I feel so alone. Amy, my daughter, said last night as Matt was struggling with what to preach this morning, Amy said, Matt, just say to moms that you see them. I, I see them, but Jesus, you see them. And may every mom in this room understand that New Testament theologians say that 
when Jesus cleansed the temple that he was pretty upset. He made a cord of whip and he ran them out. And the disciples quoted out of the Psalms, the zeal of thine house has eaten him up. But every New Testament scholar, every study, every, every scholar of the Greek New Testament say there's one episode where he was more angry than the cleansing of the temple. And that was when those little mothers were coming with their children. And the disciples were telling the moms to go away, that Jesus was tired. And in that moment, he said, Suffer not, hinder not the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. There was more passion, more urgency, and even anger, righteous indignation in that moment than in the cleansing of the temple. Jesus loves moms. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's a mom here that doesn't know you today, that she would give her heart and life to you, that she would come forward and say, Brother Jeff, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I want to give my life to Christ. There are other moms in this room that may be discouraged, feel defeated. They may need to come and say, Sheila, say to the pastor's wife or me or Ledge or Russell or somebody, may just need to come to the altar, spend a moment in prayer. May need to grab another believer, another Christian. They respect, go to another mom and say, would you pray for me? I'm, I'm struggling. There are moms struggling with kids in school that they're just, they're, they're worried. And they need some encouragement. So God, wrap your arms around us, dear Lord. Speak to us. And if there's a, somebody that needs to be saved, they'll be saved today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come.